What is up, you guys, and welcome back to another edition of the podcast. My name is Ramon, and this is Dad's Podcast Project. And today I'm talking about a little bit of a deep subject. I, For those of you who don't know, I am currently enrolled in some college courses, I'm continuing with that higher level of education. And one of the classes that I am taking is U.S. history. I believe it's current U.S. history or pretty much just not stuff that happened way back in the day during them kings and queens and stuff like that, but things that are more current. And so right out the gate, we get hit with an assignment that is talking about opium brides. Now, you're probably asking why why am I talking about this on Dad's podcast project? And it's a simple answer. It has to deal with children, children over in the Middle East and how a lot of them are treated and or pretty much boiled down to a form of currency. So this documentary, it, as I mentioned before, it takes place in Afghanistan or over in the Middle East. And it follows a couple families and some, some of their stories and some of the hard times that these individuals are, are on. A lot of them are farmers and majority of them used to farm opium. The country itself profits heavily from the sale and growing of opium. It is one of their major forms of revenue. However, the government also goes out and destroys a lot of poppy fields. Now, smugglers, how they come into the picture and how the exchange of children comes into play is they go out to farmers who are hard on pretty much going through hard times and either they aren't making any money off of the sort of subsidized crops that they're trying to get people to sell or grow to sell, which is maize and wheat, that that is not really coming to fruition quickly enough. Now, I didn't, the video looked as if it was older. I want to say maybe recorded back in the 90s. So I'm not sure how much has changed since then. So this is this is an older video or mini documentary or mini uh, journalistic story that I was watching. And pretty much just talking about how smugglers of opium would approach farmers or farmers would approach smugglers, however that exchange happens, and they would come to an agreement. Smugglers give you a loan of X amount of dollars, which can range from ten to 20000 maybe even $40,000. And you as the farmer or the farmers are saying that they will take that money, they will grow opium, and when the opium has uh, matured and is ready to harvest, then the smugglers will come back and then collect that opium. Now, where the government comes into play is they come through and they're a part of a opium, not necessarily eradication program, but an opium removal program. When one of the, one, of, one individual in the documentary was interviewed, they said that we're not out to eradicate opium to completely obliterate opium 
but rather allow farmers another option to not grow it. They didn't really go into detail as to what that is. So they're out there with their tanks, with their guns, and they're pretty much chopping down these poppy fields. So the smugglers come back to a farmer whom they've lended tens of thousands of dollars to with the promise of opium in return. And they see that the farmer is, in fact, empty-handed. So that's when they pretty much give their threat. Pay us our money, or in exchange we'll take one of your daughters or one of your sons. Majority of it is daughters that are being exchanged to pay these debts. And these girls are as young as 7, 14, children and for one particular family the father was actually taken taken from the house forcefully and the wife was told by the smugglers because he's now being imprisoned by this by them if you would like your husband back we'll take your seven-year-old daughter in exchange and how heavy of a decision is that that this is the this is the decision that these parents are finding themselves having to make and now before before some of you out there are getting into the whole you know up and up in arms about how you would handle the situation or whatever the case may be bear in mind that this is somewhere way across the ocean they are going through a, an entirely different economic situation it it is not the same apples to apples comparison as to what we go through say here in the United States of America that other countries face other adversities other hardships and these environments breed these scenarios or these types of circumstances so i'm being asked and i'm i'm going to re- pretty much in the description of this podcast, I'm going to go ahead and leave my my paper or my my reply to this homework assignment. That way I don't have to type it twice. I'll just type it once here for the podcast, and then I'll go ahead and upload it to, to my class. And if you guys would, would care to know what my grade is, uh, maybe I'll throw that out there on, on the gram or something like that. But He's asking three questions. My professor is asking three questions of this assignment. Question number one is, what to you, I think he meant to write, what do you? But what do you think of the practices of using children as collateral? Question number two, what do these practices continue? Or why do these practices continue? And number three, what is your reaction to the documentary? Now, however your reaction is to, to what I initially shed light upon or what I had initially uh, expressed this, th- just the beginning of this documentary was about, uh, let me be clear. We are probably on the same page. We probably feel the same things right now. Just this guttural and this visceral just feeling of rage and disgust and absolute 
terror, the fact that you would have to even make a decision like this. But we'll answer question number one first. What do I think of the practice of using children as collateral? Now, I can't clearly, I cannot answer this question as like from a non-business circumstance or a non-business perspective. Unfortunately, well, for those of you who know me, I do tend to play the devil's advocate more often than not. So the practice of using children as collateral, I think that it makes sense. As troubling as that may sound, I think it makes sense and hear me out. The reason I say that is because these are families that have nothing. You, you, I mean, the smugglers themselves, what is it they can, they can get from these people in return? There is nothing they can get from these people in return. They have no land of their own. And even if they do, it doesn't matter. That land is not worth anything if nothing is grown upon it. The people that were interviewed, I'm not sure if these were their homes, but they were pretty much just square rooms with dirt floors. Now, they did have rugs on the floor, but when at the end of the documentary, when one of the rooms was then shown again, the rugs were removed, and it's just pretty much a dirt floor, cement walls, one tiny window, one like metallic door, and this is their space. So it's not like they have a house like you would envision here in the United States. It's not like they have a house that they can put up as collateral that you can just hand a pink slip over. And what physical things of equity do they have? It's not like they have iPads and, and computers and cars and all of these other things. They have people. They have children. And so when you have nothing to offer but your but your blood, your 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 children, then that is the most valuable thing that someone who is giving you twenty thousand dollars can take as collateral. And that's why that's why I think that they, they use that practice. And that's why I think that it makes sense for them as smugglers to take children because again, as we've heard in, in the news and as we've heard in, in even in cinema and things like that, uh, human trafficking is a very real thing. And even if you don't get your $20,000 back, the cost of human life in selling them in, in using them for just, horrific things it there's revenue there as well and even talking about it i mean i feel i don't feel comfortable saying these things however for the sake of answering the question i again i think that it it makes sense and i can see why um people would do this and why do I think that these practices continue? Well, it's my understanding through watching this film that these practices continue because it's pretty much a, an age-old tradition that they also went out to 
the the freelance cameraman or whomever the investigative journalist was on this uh, went out into like the the country or the hillside or into the mountains and found a remote poppy field and remote farmers who were who were growing poppies that were far outside of the reach of the government and they pretty much broke it down that the way that they handle disputes is very tribal in a sense that the elders get together like say someone is killed or murdered that rather than standing trial in a, in a government or a democratic fashion or however even communist or totalitarian governments handle their crimes and, and acts of violence like that that in this scenario because they they feel or maybe they are so far outside of the reach of the government that they actually have the elders convene and discuss a way to remedy the situation and maybe if someone is murdered in exchange it might cost that person two children a piece of land and an animal and all will be all will be well now i think that that is why these practices continue within this culture not necessarily in other cultures where drugs are also a a form of revenue for for the cover, for the the country itself but i think that because they've done this even prior to to this documentary it's sort of the way that they handled things uh was trading people trading children or promising young brides to these older individuals that that is probably why the practice is still it's like it's just what they do it's just what they've done so they continue it there's no no sense in changing what something that's been around since your father's time and his father's time before him and especially in a culture where they don't view women as equals and they don't view assault towards women as a crime against the male but rather the crime of the female even if she is the victim of assault that was another thing that and I'll answer question number three. My reaction to this documentary uh, was just disgusted. I think that, for one, it's very educational. And it's. I feel that it's, it's worth knowing that these things exist in the world so that you can then self-reflect and see that that's not a good thing. What can be done about it? How can you prevent it from happening? And what can you do about, say, it happening to other people? Just crimes against humanity. And some of the things that they spoke of, because they don't really talk about sexual assault, it's very, I guess, taboo or just not spoken of in a culture or in a country where women are viewed as less than that either they don't want to hear it or if they hear it, it's like, well, 
you must have brought it upon yourself or that however they however they go about handling it 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 doesn't bode well for the victim and one of the things that they mentioned was that a lot of these girls are being used or being abused uh, being used as say dancers or being sexually assaulted being married off at a very 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 young age and just living out a horrific life another part that really just set me with an uneasy or an unsettling feeling was one of the fathers whose daughters he had given up was also addicted to I think it was heroin and he would just smoke heroin and he's pretty much just a drug addict and his two boys or one of his children I don't know if they were brothers friends cousins whatever these two little boys were they must have been maybe four or five years old are just sitting there while he's lighting up smoking heroin or crack or whatever whatever it was that he was smoking and one little boy is sitting right next to him who is his son who he refers to as his son and you know it's kind of like dad dad got some chocolate you know it's just like innocent like kids talking to their parents kind of questions and his dad is just kind of like out there he's already spaced out he's just, whatever it is is already kicked in and he is just telling his son why do you follow me why do you why are you doing this like what are you doing here stop following me you can end up being growing up to be miserable like me and you're going to be addicted to this as well and it's going to ruin you too can't you see that don't you understand that and it's like what like forgive me but what the hell kind of conversation is that to have with your child i know that i go on and on about saying you know i'm not here to tell people how to parent or how to do whatever they're doing but for real this was just like i couldn't believe it and now all wasn't terrible with the documentary there is unfortunately it's too few but there is groups that help some of these girls who are able to get away from their captors or whom are able to seek asylum with them prior to being taken away and it's like that's great and they can stay there as long as they need to until they can they can then leave and find a better place but for some it's just they're victims of of their surroundings and it strikes back to the not to get well it may get semi-political even though i'm not going to mention any political things or parties or individuals but when you hear about people who talk about immigration and those who come here just to quote unquote steal your job and at the end of the day it's like looking at it like individuals in this type of scenario 
who is more, who would, how long would you live in that type of life before you would want out? Anywhere would be better than there. And I never quite realized this until I became more traveled in my older age or as I grew older, but you have such a closed, I feel like I, well, I'll speak about myself. I feel like I had such a narrow vision of the world before I traveled outside of my own community, outside of my own state, outside of my own country. And you, because, well, my, my wife and I, we, we had taken a trip to the Dominican and for most people, you probably want to go there, lay on the beach, have some alcohol and just relax in the sun, which we did. But when I go somewhere and it can be to another state, it can be to another city, county, whatever the case may be, I want to experience the local atmosphere. And so we made it a point to, though it was very kind of guided, uh, we went on an excursion out to see the way that the locals live and that some of the neighborhoods, some of the, like where the schools are, things like that. And you quickly begin to realize as you pay attention to even the staff that work at these resorts or even work at some of these pit stops where you get your food and where you get your souvenirs is that a lot of them are unfortunately prisoners within their country. And what I mean by that, I don't mean that they're literally imprisoned by the country, but financially imprisoned by the country. We have so much freedoms that for myself at a very young age, I took for granted. If I want to go to Nevada, I'll just get in my car and I'll go. If I want to go to Washington, if I want to go to any state, if I want to go to Canada, Mexico, anywhere in the world, I can just go. As long as I have the money and the means, I can go. And as far as I'm concerned, I don't need permission. But in a lot of these other countries, you can't even travel to the, to the United States of America unless you have a passport uh, and you have some form of anchor that will ensure that you'll come back. Like, I wouldn't know how to how to how to answer that question if I want to go to Canada and they're like, "Well, you have to show proof that you're going to come back to the United States." So, like, what do you mean? I need to show you proof. I want to go, so I'm going. And if I don't want to come back, I shouldn't have to. That's the liberty that we inherently have here in the United States. Now, whether or not that other country will take me, I mean, that's, that's another, a whole nother just barrel of questions, I guess. But as far as the United States hold on me, I don't feel like they have any hold on me. I should be able to leave, go where I want to go and do what I want to do with this life and in this world. And unfortunately for some, that's not the case. 
they are born into an area where they will, um, unfortunately, unless they, unless they didn't have any, um, unless they didn't want to see outside of their, their country, their neighborhood or their, wherever it is that they were born, unless they didn't want to, uh, they never will. Where they are born is where they will die. And if they are born in an area where children are, are taken as collateral, if they are born in an area where it has been pretty much taken over by the growth and distribution of drugs, be it opium or whatever, then this is, this is their environment. And subsequently, it sounds cliche, but we do become products of our environment. And if you're not born into the top, or if you're not born a male over there in the Middle East, at least through the lens of journalist, because I, I, I've not grown up there myself, I can't speak to that effect, but at least through the lens of journalism, it doesn't seem like women get a fair, a fair shake out of the deal when it comes to being born over there. And why you would want to stay, I, I, it's it's definitely beyond me. Like I get, I get if you're all about home and where you where you grew up and. You know, things might have been different when you were a child and you've just seen them gradually change over time. Like I've seen pictures of, I think it was Iraq, like way back in the day and it looked like the future. And it wasn't until um, certain religion took over that things kind of went a different way. But even then, I don't mean to, to speak on that because I'm not uh, well versed on that topic, but it's just... It's one of those things. It's one of those raw deals that life hands some of us. And the fact that I'm able to talk about this and to to see it, I mean, I I take more value in what it is that that we have here. I I hope that I'm able to raise my children to value what it is, the opportunities that they have, uh, knowing that there are others who don't have the same opportunities in life. And really, it's what we make of it, and it's what we do with our time here that matters. And even then, you there were there were individuals in this documentary that they were asked by smugglers, and I was surprised uh, that one of these panned out. So this man, he had to turn over two of his children, his daughter and his son, both under the age of ten. I want to. I know his son was eleven and his daughter was. I think she was eight or seven as well, and so he had to hand both of them over. And they said, "You need to pay us twenty thousand dollars if you want them back." And this wasn't even his debt. He was a teacher whose father had taken out the debt, and when he went to the farm to go visit, he was then taken. And one of those videos with a bag over his head begging family or anybody to give his captors 
uh, the money that they're asking for. So he ends up scrounging up the $20,000 because of eventually he gets away or they let him go. I'm, I'm not clear as to, I might've missed that part, but he ends up getting, getting out and, oh no, no, he gets out because he promises in exchange his two children. And the reason that he makes that decision is because he feels that while he's captive, if they were to kill him, his family would still be in danger. So he promises his kids in exchange as collateral so that he can then earn the money to, to pay them back himself because the rest of his family wasn't going to pay it. His kids clearly were unable to pay it because they're so young. So he takes it upon himself to do that. And he's asking around, he's, he's looking for people to donate and whatever. And he ends up finally pulling together $20,000, which he actually needed 40 because later on they capture his brother and they say, for your kids, it's 20 and for your brother, it's another 20. Give us $40,000, which is a ton of money. I would have to imagine. I don't, if someone like motivation gives you, definitely gives you purpose or purpose gives you motivation. And if you needed, if you needed to pull together $20,000 and it was for your children, you would find a way to do it. I would find a way to do it. This man finds a way to do it. And I'm like, how did, how the heck did he do it? And he finally pulls together this $20,000 and he gets on the phone. The guy tells him where to meet, says, bring the money. And they end up giving him his daughter, but not his son because he only had half the money. And that's where I was surprised that they even gave him anything and they didn't just take the money. So he gets his daughter, he doesn't get his son, but then a couple of days later they do give him his son, but unfortunately he's sick and that's why he fell ill while, while being held captive. The little boy ends up dying two days later. So the father takes the, the rest of the family he has left and they just leave the country for fear of these smugglers. Now, I hope that he moved to an area where he is safe. But again, I touch back on why people would want to immigrate. It doesn't necessarily have to be immigrate to America. It could be immigrate to any country. Any country that is better than the country that they came from. Because you ask yourself, I mean, you hear, you hear people in leadership positions preaching the same rhetoric of why don't they stay and make it better? Why run away? My counter to that is there are a lot of bad areas here in the United States of America. People just want to up and leave those neighborhoods when gang violence is up, when, when drug addiction is up. People don't want to live there. People don't want to be there. I mean, we've had a war on drugs for for decades now with little to no improvement. I mean, now we're starting to see the legalization of marijuana because clearly it wasn't working the other way around. 
And yeah, I get the fact that there are other drugs that are still illegal. But again, we're not really doing it here either. And it, it to, in my perspective, looks like it's a heck of a lot worse there with a whole lot less resources at their disposal to make it better. It would almost have to be a civil war between the people who live there, the people who sell drugs, and the government wherever they stand. Because I can only imagine if, if drugs and government and the way that it's handled in South America and in Mexico and even, even Central America, if it's handled that way there, where government officials are paid off, where politicians are paid off, and if you don't play ball, I mean, drugs is a big business, that they will find someone who, who does and who, who will look the other way, who will take those bribes. So when it's happening over in the Middle East, a country we hear very little about here in the United States, I can imagine that the corruption is even either on par or even more than that with which we have here. So how do you combat that? As a farmer, as a person who has very little to your name. But I'd be curious to hear what you guys have to think. You can feel free to slide in the DMs. You can follow me on my Instagram. It is at Dad's Podcast Project. From there, you can send me messages. You can leave me a comment on my posts. Join in on the discussion. Uh, for some reason, comments aren't really working on my on my website, so I'll not direct you guys there. If you like this podcast, feel free to leave it a, a like or a five star. That's always helpful. And if you guys enjoy uh, some of these more, I guess, school-related podcasts, feel free to let me know, and I'll definitely keep talking about them. It sure gave me a topic uh, to touch on tonight. I wanted to have the conversation about it with my wife. She had said that she had seen this documentary before, and I'm pretty sure she had some uh, some feelings herself about it, and even more so now as as parents to see these little girls and these little boys uh, growing up in the in that world, and then to look at my own children in the monitor as they're as they're sleeping soundly in their crib and in their bed. Uh, it's worlds apart, uh, but it still it still makes me feel the same as if as if it were happening here to someone that I would know. But I'll leave it there for you guys. I want to take time to thank you again, and as always, till next time, you guys. See ya.